Hey, I'm Will LaVise. He's Eric LaVille. You tune into LaVise and Claville, where we give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to the show. We're continuing our series, Black Tax, and in this segment, talking about higher education, black tax and higher education. So we've been talking about the additional burden that comes oftentimes to African-Americans who actually are educated and that we want to cover and kind of talk about what it's like in higher education, talk about it from a faculty as well as a student standpoint. What does it really mean? Because we're getting encouraged to go get educated. Education is the, the key to freedom and prosperity, but then there's a tax that comes along with it. So one of the key Absolutely. examples that's, that's really hot in the news now is that we have a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She's known for the 1619 Project with the um, New York Times Magazine, which is an award-winning, groundbreaking project talking about the you know first enslaved Africans arriving in uh, British or uh, the colonies in, in Jamestown, which is basically Old Point Hampton, Stone's Throw from where you are now. Absolutely. <laughs> and the university hired her as the media night chair in uh, race and investigative journalism, an appointment that typically comes with tenure. But to this point, she's been denied tenure. Many people think that it's has to do with politics. Uh, a lot of uh, Republicans not like uh, the position that 1619 Project has come out with. A lot of people also see the unmistakable uh, reality that she is a proud black woman and wonder what's the deal here. So is this a black tax at play that we see here for you know, our sister, Nicole um, Hannah Jones? Well, Will, you bring up a very important point about um, this, 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 this Pulitzer Prize winning, Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. winning. Uh, journalists, not many. Yeah, I mean, that's the top award. That's the top journalism award. So it, it gets no higher. It gets yeah. no higher. And, and you are a journalist. You've been in the yeah. profession for uh-huh. decades. You, you know, you've you've written. You were the first African American uh, writer in in our newspaper here in Virginia, Virginia Beach. Yeah, columnist, columnist at the Daily Press. Yes. You know, and then also, you know, your work in Chicago and the like. So you understand just how prestigious this award is absolutely as particular person but 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 not only that but her work with the 1619 project really brought a national and international um a view of what actually took place about right. america's history and you're right it's a it's a i pass uh old port comfort fort monroe where the first enslaved Africans arrived, the first Americans arrived, well, well, the first Europeans arrived here in America where it all started. Um, and also, I just recently um, uh, completed a fireside chat for the 160th anniversary of the uh, uh, contraband decision, which actually was the first decision that started the movement toward emancipation during the Civil War. So very... Right. Ironically, you had these two monumental events in our history happening essentially at the same location, you know, there, there in Hampton. Absolutely. Absolutely. So her work there speaks for itself and anybody, I mean, anytime you do work like that, Will, you know, universities want to scoop you up. Anytime you work, you know, in political fields uh, or administrations, 
universities want to uh, provide you an opportunity to be on their staff mm-hmm. as faculty. Anytime you clerk at a at, at a uh, uh, for a judge, whatever the case may be, universities want that knowledge because they want that experience. But for Anna Jones not to be provided tenure, <laughs> you know, for the work she's done just simply shows uh, just a great injustice. But that's just one example. I want to talk more more broadly about faculty and the black tax in higher education. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at it as faculty that come into what's called a predominantly white institution, PWIs. All right. So if you have faculty that come into PWIs, well, if you're an African-American faculty, uh, if you're a black female or even a black male faculty, which also has its different dynamics as well, right, right. Um, uh, if you come into a department where you're the first and only African-American in that department, there's a black tax that's going to come with that. What, what's that black tax? Number one, you are the de facto advisor for all black students that come through that. Hmm. And other students that identify with African-American culture and African-American struggle, right? So we're talking about other black immigrants from black nations and then, and then the like. Basically, whoever the primary fa- faculty don't want to deal with, they're going <laughs> to they're coming to you. So you become the guy or the woman who deals with them. <laughs> Absolutely. Now right. you don't get paid. You don't get paid extra for that, right? Uh, there's a lot of counseling that goes into those hours because a lot of times these students are really struggling uh, because they're ignored because they can't find their place. So your office or your time after class, whatever, becomes the counseling period. And again, that's a tax because you're not getting paid for that, but they're bringing that out of, of you. Time that you could be spending uh, writing researching and the like. Now, keep in mind, and Will, you and I, we talked about this. You know, we want to see other African-Americans, other students of color, and really all of our students. Why? So we want to see all of them succeed. So right. we're going to take the time. You're going to take the time with them, right? And make sure that they, you know, don't uh, make these missteps and make sure that they succeed and be able to navigate the system. You know, and, and that's one of the ironies about the tax is that by nature of being an African-American and understanding how important education is, uh, upliftment of the people and everything, you, by nature, you want to be able to play that role and to be a mentor to students who look like you. You oftentimes know what it's like to have been on a campus and not have students, not have a professor that looks like you that you can really relate to. Or if you are on HBCU campus, you know how important it was to have a professor that you could relate to. So part of it is you want to be able to play that kind of role, but you don't want to be pigeonholed into only playing, and not to the extent that that role limits what your other interests may be. Exactly. You want to, as you say, stated, uh, Will, you definitely want to be there because each of us can point to a professor or somebody, a staff member at the university, or somebody outside the university that was a mentor to us, or right. just said, hey, you need to you need to stop doing this and start doing this, you know, or somebody that gave us that first opportunity, right? <laughs> you know, you that made all the difference. Yeah. I'm telling you, you talked about how the time that you you knew that you want to be a journalist. It's not because you grew up wanting to do it, but it was just that one exposure. You know, and you know, I mentioned stories about how. You know, I got my first opportunity to work in, in, in politics, and that made all the difference. So you want to do that, but you don't get paid for it. Now, right. the key is you want to be acknowledged for it, but you're not. 
That's another tax. No acknowledgement, no pay for it. But like you said, the irony is you want to do it. The second thing that you experience uh, generally as a faculty member is that now you're going to be taxed with teaching the courses that nobody else wants to teach. <laughs> you're going to be also teaching mm. courses, but also given the same amount of requirements to research and to write, right? Mm. So instead of teaching a 2-2 two, two and having to release time to research, you're probably teaching a 3-3 three, three, or 4-4. Four, four. Wow. Yeah, for those of you that were not in academia, 2-2 two, two simply means you're teaching two classes during the fall semester, two classes during the spring, and the other release time is two hours or two classes to do research and things of that nature. But if you're teaching a four four, that's a four low, and mm. you do all this other stuff. Then you're giving your tax with being on these other committees. You're always going to be the person on uh, the DEI committee: diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. You are the default person. You know. Now again, the irony of it will you want to be involved in that because you know how it was. You know, when you were uh, in in the profession, however, you don't get recognized for it, right? You don't get paid for that. And the question becomes, in your profession, does your profession recognize that committee as being something that is weighted heavily for tenure? Yeah, and and I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show about the uh, the issue of, uh, you know, Hannah uh, Jones and not receiving tenure. And so... You probably, you know, explaining what tenure is, which is simply your know, status granted to a teacher after a trial period, you know, that gives protection from summary uh, dismissal. So essentially, right. tenure positions are, you know, a lifetime appointment to a university. It enables the professor to be able to speak their mind, to have academic freedom and not have to come under um, you know, attack for something that they may have said and just lose their profession. So when you're on a campus as a faculty, tenure is the game. Tenure is the Absolutely. goal. And so in order to achieve tenure, as you pointed out, you have to do oftentimes certain amount of research is required. There's a certain amount of teaching hours, there's a certain amount of advising. If you have to do all of these different things that are not getting knowledge and may not even count towards tenure, right? then it doesn't allow you the opportunity to do the things that would count towards tenure. Absolutely. Uh, again, you're looking at what essentially becomes a tax. So you've, you've done all of the work to qualify, to earn the doctorate degree, and now you're here in the situation, in the institution, trying to do what all your other colleagues are trying to do, but you don't often have the, the clear path to be able to do the thing. You need to do. Speaking of clear path, so when, when you're the first or you are the only one, because a lot of times you find yourself where you're not the first, but the others have left prematurely because they didn't have that clear path or that support right. to get toward that clear path. Uh, uh, case in point, I remember there was a firm that I wanted to uh, uh, be a work for when, when 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 I was a law student, and I was like, this was the firm. And they had an office in, in D.C. They had offices mm-hmm. all across, you know, the Southeast. And this was the one. And I got that opportunity to be there. Oh, man, I was I, I was I was going to be the corporate guy. This was this was it. All right? Your chest was popped up and your, your bow tie was fluttering. Man. You was ready. It, 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 it was there. 
it, it was there. I was I was excited. I, I consider myself blessed to, to have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was actually recruited by the black guy who was in the firm. Needless to say, when I got there, the black guy left and I become the black guy wow. <laughs> in, in that particular office. And um, I, I saw and I've been the black guy before, you know, in in situations and just as a just as a more mature and older uh, uh, professional, you think to yourself, you know, do I want to do this again? Do I want to mm-hmm. be the black person, the black guy, the black representative? And when you have options, you can make those decisions to do so or not. You know, for those that don't have, it's a tough situation to be in. But, but Will, I I made a decision not to be, you know, and uh, it was one of those where, because there's a lot of pressure being the the one. So what ends up happening is that I also saw where others, and I actually had a colleague I was actually in high school with who was there, and he was receiving the opportunities to work on major projects that was going really? to come into certain circles because the firm actually saw, you know, him as being, you know, someone that they could tap to, you know, be the future. Right. right. And, and right. I get it. I get it. If you've worked in a company and you've worked somewhere, you identify talent or that you want to uh, lead in the future. I get it. But at the same time, you know, you have to take into consideration that, not all individuals were tapped because of talent, but all individuals, some individuals, especially African-Americans, were rejected, even though they had talent, but mm. you didn't want them to be the face. Uh, so just, just you know, being in a situation where you're working the um, um, uh, the, the work that nobody else wants, you know, the, right. the long hours, as opposed to the business side, right? right. So it's the same thing in, in higher ed. You know, there you have a lot of faculty that come in, you may may not be the first, you may be the next. All mm-hmm. of us have left, and you don't have that mentorship and that clear path in order to get tenure. It's like, okay, don't worry about that committee, don't worry about that right on this, because in the past, the you know, our department have looked favorably up on publications in this journal, right? As opposed to, you know, the uh, journal for diversity or the journal for African-American right. or black professionals and things of that nature. So, uh, and which brings up another part of being the black faculty is that a lot of the professional organizations that helped us get to that point where we are, are not looked upon or value in our, in our departments of profession by others because they weren't a part of it. Right. And they're also, right. they're not also right. looked upon as being, okay, Less than, yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, another piece of the tax that you you talked about that you touched on when you're that first woman or first a black man is that you oftentimes have to be perfect. Yeah. So now the room for error, the room for mistakes, the room to be human is not as uh, broad as it may be for some of your other colleagues. So many of us have been taught by our parents, you know, you have to be twice as good yeah. to to be seen as equal or just slightly just less than cool. equal, you know, <laughs> just to get by. And so what often happens now is if you're, you pointed out being that second guy, if you are the second one, that opportunity you you've been blessed to even had the opportunity to be a second one. Oftentimes you find yourself 
perhaps even unbeknownst to yourself, being judged by that first one. So you have the tax of, okay, I can't be imperfect. I have to be superhuman. I can't make any mistakes. I have to uh, be able to endure and, and be excellent because I don't know who maybe not only do I need to secure my own position, but I don't know who's coming behind me that, and then you can have someone who's come up and not even know what has gone on before them. And, or you, and and before you know, you're being judged by things that happened that you had no knowledge of, you know, there's someone just because again, your skin color, the, uh, the black tax. What about on the, you know, on the student side, you know, when I think about, you know, students and the issue of now as a student, we have much broader opportunities to go to a variety of different schools. I often get hit, but I'm sure you get this all the time. What is the difference or the benefit of going to an HBCU versus a PWI, predominantly white institution, versus a historically black institution? And I remember some years ago, I wrote this, co-wrote this book with the Tom Joyner Foundation. Uh, Tom Joyner presents how to prepare for college, right? And and in this book, Tom Joyner, a lot of people know him, radio personality, Absolutely. a legend, very much a supporter of black colleges. And so all of the proceeds for this book very much went towards his Tom Joyner Foundation, which supported uh, black colleges, students at black colleges, right? And one of the things we talked about in this book was answering that question about, is it beneficial? Is it better for a black student to go to a PWI? Yeah. or to go to an HBCU. And depending on who you talk to, you get these v- variety of responses. And oftentimes, when you talk to Blacks who have gone to PWIs, they talk about how, you know, the reason why they went is because it was more a reflection of reality and real life, and you're going to be interacting with people, all kinds of backgrounds, and that's why you should go. But the reality oftentimes is that when you are a Black student on a predominantly white campus, you feel very much isolated oftentimes yeah. and very much you don't get the full range of the exposure to really truly interact with people of different groups than what you perceived, what you thought you were. Yeah. And I can recall uh, being a mentor as I went to University of Arizona down in Tucson, Arizona for grad school after I graduated from Lincoln. And I was a mentor to many of the black students. They had an African-American cultural resource center still there. It's an MLK center now. And that's where a lot of the black students go to feel a sense of being supported and at home. And so you had to wonder, you had to ask yourself if this environment is truly beneficial to a black student, why would you need a cultural resource center like that for them to be able to go and find themselves if the entire environment is truly, truly embracive of them. So it's 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 a catch twenty two. It's a it's a tax. It's a catch. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to. You bring up a very good point about students, but I want to go back to being perfect, and this will lead right into students. I remember at one of my mentors for a, a mentorship program I was involved in, professional mentorship. Uh, it was a university president. Mm. who um, was telling us about he was the first African-American, a black president of a state institution. It was Mm. the second major state institution in that particular state. 
And he talked about how he pulled his chief of staff and, you know, to the side after he was inaugurated. And he told him, he said, we got to be perfect. The chief of staff looked at him in the eye he looked at him in the eye and said, yes, sir, I understand. Mm -hmm. And he said, he walked out the room and that's the way that they proceeded because he knew the eyes were looking at him. He knew that he, if he messed up or perceived to have made a mistake or messed up, then he, others will be judged based upon him. Now, the other part of that, the flip side of that coin is, for those individuals who did not mess up or set a standard or towed the status quo, others coming behind him will be judged to do the same thing, tow the status quo, don't, quote unquote, make any trouble, you know, and just be the, 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 the stoic uh, person in leadership. Right. So. That's as a, as faculty as administrators, that is a major burden that we have as African Americans going into these uh, uh, positions. Now, not saying that others who are the first don't have them, but we know for us in our history in this country is it it way it has even more weight. Now, translate that to students. When you go when you're in that situation. And you're at these universities where it's not too many of you or you're the only in your class. Right. right. Especially when you get into majors that we see traditionally have not been friendly to African-Americans, such as the STEM fields, the science, tech technology, right. uh, engineering, mathematics, and also the non-traditional sports. And we'll talk about that later when we talk about lacrosse, we talk about rowing, we talk about swimming, exactly. we talk exactly. about gymnastics, <laughs> volleyball, all that stuff. Gotta be perfect. Yeah, it's like you know, you 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 have no room to mess up. Have no room to be a kid. You know, to to grow, to develop, to make steps, mistakes, trial and error. You're exactly right, and that's really. And will when when you mention that, you know, I didn't really think about it, but when when you mention time to grow and be a child, really, that's that's college is really that time period where you're discovering who you are right. and you're learning things that you're, you're voluntarily exposing yourself to courses, to people and cultures that you would not have been exposed to or never been exposed to. And you're learning yourself, but when you're stuck with that pressure to outperform or, and, or not to underperform, then that's an undue pressure that hinders your growth because right. part of growth is mistakes. And then how do you overcome those mistakes? How do you address them, overcome it, and do better, right? But those students are now taxed with not being able to grow properly, not being able to really understand what life really is, and not get afforded the opportunity to explore, to mature, and to be better because they have to be perfect. Now, what ends up happening, Will, your idea of what is perfect becomes skewed. You know, being perfect doesn't mean not making mistakes, but being perfect, perfecting means that you're continually trying. It's kind of like people say, hey, we're practicing doctors, practice medicine. We're practicing lawyers, practice all. The reason why you practice is because you haven't perfected. <laughs> you're always going to be perfected. So we're, we're all in our professions practicing it, but the tax that's on our faculty, the taxes on our administrators, the taxes on our students hinders that growth through the practice of learning, 
maturing and being a professional in your profession. So it comes down to, well, what do we do in order to be able to um, deal with this tax, deal with the reality of this tax? And I know that for me, one of the areas where I draw strength from is in our culture, is in our ancestors, is in the lessons and the things that my parents said to me about uh, being twice as good and that you are built for this. And one of the things about our culture, the African-American culture, we have always had to overcome, make do. Our The very nature, the very DNA of our culture and what we've created here has been about being excellent, overcoming in spite of. Right. And so one of the things that I would say to you know, fellow, be it fellow faculty, be it to students, is to recognize that you're part of a whole con- continuum of people who have had to break through, who have had to endure, and who have had to stand firm and overcome. And so you're built for it. You know, you are built for it. And any 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 profession, anything that is worth anything and has value is going to come with great sacrifice. And the more that we push through, the more that you don't wilt under the pressure is the more that you will show your fellow white colleagues as well as your fellow uh, black colleagues, brothers and sisters, that excellence is within our reach. The more you will show, just as I've had to stand before and welcome standing in front of white students and performing at a high level of excellence and bringing them to a level of excellence, they begin to realize and they begin to understand, yeah, this is this is a professor that knows his stuff. And so it has an impact on people when they have able to see examples of excellence before them, regardless to what the skin color is. It has an impact on them and how and, and they can't deny what they've seen and what they've experienced. So I just tell people you, you have to continue to endure. Absolutely. Well, you're exactly right. You know, when I think about the struggles of African-Americans, you know, our, our people, it, it's a sense of pride. I mean, there there is a bit of sadness that's there. There's a bit of frustration, uh, some anger, just a litany of emotions. But what comes out of it is pride because you have <laughs> you have an entire system that is built to stop you, but we continue to bring it down. You know, that's got to be, that that's an inspirational story for all times, which I believe that the African-American experience is one of the greatest experiences of humankind because it's a people that were created to fail, but we continue to overcome and succeed and excel. I always say that there's nothing more American than being African-American. And, you know, I'll talk about that more when, you know, in our Independence Day segment uh, where we discuss, you know, just America in itself. And what America really means to all of us. It's, it's all of our country. Uh, and as African American, we have to build it. Uh, and the identity of, of us is uh, who we are as a country. So we're not going to solve that problem now. But what we will do, Will, is it's about acknowledging you know, where we are, what we do, and how can we support each other to get better. Because ultimately, we've seen when we are 
better together. We're greater as one. And, you know, one thing that we have to continue, the last thing I think we have to continue to do is just recognize each other's issues. Don't dismiss it. Recognize it. You may not agree with the solution, but recognize it and then acknowledge that we're going to move forward together, you know, as one. So thank you again for joining us for this segment of LaVisa and Claville. As we talk about, as we talk during our Black Tax series, join us next time as we continue to highlight very important issues. Uh, definitely continue to follow us on our social media on Facebook, like, share, and also comment. Let us know how we're doing. And also let us know if there are things that you want us to talk about or want us to cover. We also like to thank our producer, Ben Bailey, for all the work that he's doing. The production value that you see uh, is his work behind the scenes. Again, thank you for joining us because to us, that's the way it is. We'll see you next time.